When the world surrounds us, you're all we need, Lord. And we need you now. Come, Lord Jesus, lead us again. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be pure in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed. Because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not in him only, but also on me. To spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him. So that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. God, always bless the reading of God's holy word. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I had an experience the other night that I, I would imagine many of you have had where I sat down with a high school friend who I hadn't seen in 35 years. And what was amazing was how quickly we were able to pick it right back up. Matt, Matt is a, also happens to be a, a pastor. He's a Lutheran pastor in Richmond, Virginia, and he's making his way across country on sabbatical. And we sat there in the Black Bear Diner in Federal Way. And it was honestly like we were in the band room on Monday morning after playing a football game and marching band on Saturday. You know, it is amazing. And he too knew my friend Dean. He was Dean's friend too. Dean, who many of you heard, is a friend of ours who passed away suddenly down in Los Angeles a few weeks ago. So we talked about Dean. It was magical. Those bonds. Magical. Same thing with my friend Dave, who also knew Dean, who I called on the phone recently, and we talked for over an hour. I hadn't seen him in 35 years. And we picked it right back up. Dave is in television editing down in L.A. We had a lot of fun talking and, and also morning, morning together, shared morning together over Dean and talking about the loss of him. Same goes for my men's prayer group. I'm in a prayer group with a few guys, and one of the guys was the same guy I was in a prayer group with when I was in Seattle, 97 to 2007. 
Kevin and I were in this prayer group for years and we had different guys cycle through and then I left for 13, 14 years and I'm back now and Kevin said, hey, come join us. Sure. A couple guys now, other guys in the group besides Kevin and me, one guy I knew a little bit, the other guy I hadn't known at all, but it's like putting on an old pair of leather slippers, being with these guys. And once you experience that kind of community and connection, you wonder... What did I ever do without it? You realize how important it is. Well, in all of this, there is a big old clue. A big old clue about God's intentions for ministry. And it's this. God's delivery system for ministry is relationships. God's delivery system for ministry is relationships. This shouldn't surprise us. We're made in the image of God, whose very being is constituted in relationships. There is mystery here to the Trinity, to the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We talked about this a few months ago, and talking about our essential beliefs of our denominations, the, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus' prayer is clear in John 17. He prays, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us. In the Spirit, we're invited into that fellowship of the Trinity. The triune God, whose very being is constituted in relationships as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, invites us into the embrace of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And our gateway to experience that and understand that, our gateway to experience the relationships between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, our gateway into that is our relationships with each other. Gateway into the relationship with a God who is himself relationships is relationships. It all makes sense. If you think about it, Jesus began his ministry by calling a small group of guys to relationship. Paul continues the mission by doing ministry in, say it, Relationship, And while our passage isn't all there is to say about relationships, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. It's a good little roadmap to get us started on the journey. When we look at how Paul describes his ministry relationships with the Philippian church and all the, all the relationships around that, there's at least three. There's probably ten. But there's, I'm going to focus on three key moves Paul makes. First, Paul allows himself to be emotionally vulnerable. Toward the people he's investing in. So emotional vulnerability in relationships. Second, Paul expands the circle to include others in the relationships. So opening the circle. So emotional vulnerability and opening the circle. And then third, Paul really knows the griefs and the graces of the people he's in relationship with. So emotional vulnerability, opening the circle. And really knowing the people we're with. First of all, this emotional vulnerability. The language of our text is very intimate. Paul wants to send Timothy that he may be cheered. That's a rare Greek word. Conveys the, the depth of joy that Paul expects to find. His heart is open. Paul is not just some, you know, removed uh, from a distance observer of ministry progress. He is all in. But there's a flip side to that coin. Because with Epaphroditus, presumably um, the guy who brought the Philippians this letter back, 
after he was with Paul, Paul has the potential for anxiety too. Paul's so invested in Epaphroditus that he's saying essentially in our text, look, I'm going to be impacted if you guys don't receive him. So receive him with joy. If that goes well, I'll have less anxiety because Epaphroditus went to was sent by the Philippians to be with Paul and then got sick. So Paul sent them back to the Philippians and he doesn't want the Philippians to think it's because Epaphroditus failed, right? So he's saying, welcome him, bring him joy, have joy, receive him. And as you do that, I will not have anxiety about this. You see, when you invest in ministry and you give your heart, you have joy and you have anxiety. Stick in ministry long enough and you will get your heart broken. Ministry will break your heart. Jim and I have common DNA in student ministry. We know when you give your heart, it's all about giving your heart to people in student ministry. And you know that there's joys in that and there's pain in that. The Lord meets us in that. Real ministry means not shielding ourselves from getting hurt or being disappointed. It means opening up our hearts, daring to invest in people enough to be vulnerable in our joy and vulnerable in our anxiety. This is Paul here. It's tempting to put a shell around our hearts, tempting for pastors to be CEOs who look at the system from a distance. That ain't Paul. That ain't Jesus. That ain't how we roll. That's not the triune God of grace who puts on flesh and makes himself vulnerable even to death. Our God rolls different, goes all in. Who is God calling you to put your heart into and invest? Risk to be joyful, risk to be vulnerable. All in. That's where our relational roadmap and discipleship takes us in the life of Paul and I think the life of our God. Emotional vulnerability all in towards humanity. That's first. Second, Paul shares Timothy. He shares his best guy with the Philippians. At least that's his intentions. He announces. He opens up the circle of fellowship. When I walked into the first service this morning, there was a choir was gathering to pray. And they had a little hole waiting for me. <laughs> I'm not even sure they were expecting me. I'm often working on sermon in the last minute. But I get things when I'm shaving in the morning. I'm like, I had it in, you know. But there it was. They had a, they had a space for me already. Paul has a, creates a space for the Philippians who received Timothy, his best guy. Now, Paul loved Timothy. Paul says, as a son with his father, Timothy works with him. And he says, I nevertheless, I hope in the Lord Jesus, meaning, I don't know how things are going to go here. You know, he's in, under incarcerated right now. He's writing this. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. But he hopes in the Lord to send his best guy. When we find ministry relationships that are so feeding and so joyful, it's tempting to want to hog it in. You get that small group, you get that the people you have connection with and you want to hunker down. And there's a place for that intimacy for sure. But that ain't all. You know, open up the open up the best that we have. Share it. Share them. God wants to give us gifts of people in ministry, and they are gifts for us, but they are never only meant to be for us. Who is God calling you to share with others? Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's spouses. I, when I was a single guy in Seattle, uh, early on in my first stint out here, I knew a couple, Kim and Chris Hawley. 
InterVarsity background people. We were involved at a church in Seattle, and they kind of adopted me. I would go to their house and have uh, Kim's awesome strawberry waffles, and I'd sit at a table with this couple. And I was in the midst of their of their couple life, and the love between them came on to me. See, this is how this works. Sometimes with children, children too, including people in your life as children. If you're retired, including people in the spousal retirement life together, drawing them in, bringing them in, making a space. Who do you know in your life who you love, who you love having with you in ministry, and who God's calling you to share? Oh, I think so-and-so. You know, I've got Herman in my life, and I think people would love Herman. I gotta, I gotta show, I gotta, I gotta meet Mildred. I gotta show, I gotta have Mildred meet Herman and Claudio meet Emilio or whatever, you know? Who do you think in your life? Who is God calling you to share? Enjoy. Like Paul loved his brotherhood with Timothy, but he also said, you know, I think I'd like to send my best guy to you. That's trust, by the way, to do that. So emotional investments, sharing, keeping an open place in our lives. You know, Paul was open to having the Philippians kind of be in, his, in the midst of his relationship with Timothy, however you, however you want to think of it. Where is God calling you to create an open space that you can share what you have with other people? Come in the circle. Come and meet this person. Oh, I think this person, this person would connect. So emotional intimacy and vulnerability, opening up the circle, sharing the people in our lives, the precious ones that God gives us with others. First two stops in the roadmap. And then third and finally, Paul really knows people. Relational ministry is about really knowing people. He says, Timothy is going to show genuine concern. Timothy has proved himself. I have no one else like him. He knows him. He knows his gifts and graces. Can you can you think about people you know in ministry and think, I love this and this and this. And then you tell the people about them. Oh, this person's really great at this. You should meet them and you should experience. You should hear Henry pray. You should hear um, Henrietta pray. Whatever. You know, you need, you need to meet this person. Paul knows what's great about Timothy and he puts it out there for people to share. Do we know our people's graces and gifts? And do we know their sorrows? Because Paul knows Epaphroditus is stressed out. He knows what's stressing Epaphroditus out. He says in verse 26, He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. So get this. Paul is so invested in his in this Epaphroditus who was sent to help him. He became so connected with him that not only does he know and care about Epaphroditus, he knows and cares about people in relationship with Epaphroditus. He knows and cares about the people And the relationship that Epaphroditus has with others and their relationship with him. He's so invested. He knows them so well. He knows the relationships that stresses Epaphroditus out. Paul's depth of knowledge of those with whom he ministers is a call to us to consider how well do we know the people with whom we minister or even work. If you have people who work for you, do you know them? Can you vividly describe the gifts and graces in someone like Paul describes in Timothy? Do you know their struggles like Paul knows the struggle of Epaphroditus? Paul knows his struggle and, and is, is aware and says he, he loves him and, and invests in his struggle so much that he says, God not only spared him, but he spared me of the sorrow that I would have felt if we'd lost him. Paul is so all in. How is God calling you to go all in with somebody? And when we're with somebody, then we can help interpret 
theologically and spiritually what's going on, right? Paul's walking with Epaphroditus through this sickness, whatever it is, and he's able to say, God brought mercy. God was merciful. God was merciful. So in that relationship, in the relational matrix there, Paul can then interpret God. Walk with them and interpret what God's up to. A spiritual fellowship with Epaphroditus and Paul so deep that Paul considers God's mercy for Epaphroditus mercy for him as well. That's deep. That's relationship. That's what we're created for. Vulnerability with each other. Emotional vulnerability with each other. Really knowing each other. Making a space for people to share with each other. Uvaldi hit us hard this week. Collectively absorbing the impact of that atrocity. If you're like me and you have an elementary school child. This week was like 9-11. Dropping your middle school. middle school, We have a middle school or two. Dropping her off at school and watching her walk into the, the school, to the school grounds, which are now in our minds, you know, kill zones, right? What we have provided for us in the midst of all of this are relationships. We need, that's what God gives us a roadmap for here, prim- primarily, first and foremost, are relationships in which we can be vulnerable enough to mourn and vulnerable enough to share our anxieties and fears as parents, as grandparents, as as parents of high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary school, college students, and everybody. It affects everybody, right? So the emotional vulnerability that Paul describes here, we have a place to share that with each other. We need God-given relationships with open circles to include new voices and people to share the best people we know with other people we know, right? The Timothys in our lives to share with the Philippians in our lives. Who do we know? Oh, at a time like this, so-and-so should really mean so-and-so, right? Are we thinking like that? That's the roadmap. We've never needed relationships more. I remember being at a pastor's covenant group some years ago at Princeton Seminary where the guest was Earl Palmer. You may know Earl Palmer was the pastor of University Presbyterian Church for years and First Press Berkeley before that. And then he, at this point, he'd been the interim pastor of National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. And so Earl had really done an amazing job teaching there. Everybody loved him there. He had a chance to observe our national leadership up close. And one of the things that Earl said to us in this gathering with him, one of the things that he noticed, what he saw was a big problem with our national leadership, was the lack of relationships. He said the Congress comes in, makes laws, and everybody goes home. They don't know each other. They're not in relationship with each other. Earl went as far as to say he thought they should have like a dorm, (laughs) make like a big apartment building dorm so they all have to know each other and live with each other and build relationships with each other. And then in that is the matrix for the best work there is. He thought the lack of relationships, though, was hurting our nation's leadership, essentially. That makes all the sense in the world, given the God who made us and the role of the church. Our role to be a a, a living expression of that relationship recovery that we so desperately need. I was talking with a member of our church, a a member of this church family this week about work challenges 
And when you drill down, I mean, there were two or three key concerns this person was dealing with. and But a big one was about relationships. A need for real, meaningful, colleague relationships on the job with sharing the burden. Not surprising. We're made in the image of a relational God. The early church expanded and grew within relationships, living out the reality of the triune God whose being is constituted in relationships. And we're reminded reminded after this awful week how much we need him. The kid who committed the atrocity in Uvalde, among the many things that probably led into his descent into satanic darkness, among the many things that probably led to that, one of them was probably isolation from real relationships. The police captain who made what is now considered by law enforcement to be a terrible, horrendous error, a horrendous call, law enforcement is now saying, to transition from an active shooter scenario to a barricaded subject scenario, this guy needs accountability and grace. He probably feels lower than a footprint right now. But we need to learn from it. And they're doing all these reviews of it now, federal, state, and local, right? Just Sparman, FBI, everyone's reviewing it. I suspect... It is reasonable to suspect that one of the things that broke down and led to that terrible call was probably a breakdown of relationships with other guys in the room. Probably. Among many things. We have retired airline pilots in our church, and those who study critical incidents in air travel and aircraft, they will tell you a lot of times what makes the difference is cockpit crew management. In other words, healthy crew relationships in the cockpit can make the difference between disaster and disaster averted. It's how God made us. Invest vulnerably toward each other. That's the intimacy of the triune God. Keep our circles open toward each other in the world. That's the mission of the triune God. And embrace the gifts and pains we all bring. That's the love of our gracious triune God revealed in Jesus Christ. Now more than ever, in response to a national calamity, calamities in Buffalo and in Uvalde and all the gun violence, among many other issues that confront us, this relational matrix centered and grounded in the triune God of grace is the place where the church begins to be the church to salt the earth to exercise brotherly love and sisterly love for neighbor as we claim God's gospel grace and truth as we think and mourn together we mourn together and we experience even anxiety together and put that before God and, and in our vulnerability in our in our understanding each other and connection and opening circles we come together and we also think through solutions and ways that we can address these things best we can on this side of heaven that's the church and it all comes down to relationships. May it be so for you and for me in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.